We're going to dismiss our boys and girls out right now to junior church and the rest of you, if you're in here with me, hopefully a few of you will stay. Take your Bible, turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. I'm thankful for all these boys and girls slipping out too. It's uh, exciting to see. I looked at a picture a couple, week, a couple weeks ago, and it was a picture of all the children being dismissed out to junior church, and they were standing up here with me before they went out, and, uh, and Trevor was about this tall, and, and uh, Kezia was about that tall, now Kezia is taller than her mom, and Trevor thinks he's almost as tall as his mom, but he's got a little bit further to go. But I'm thankful for not only their growth physically, but their growth spiritually. Of course, a lot of the children in that picture are now in the youth group. It's exciting to see that group growing. I know this Saturday the teens are getting together and they're going to be shooting marshmallows at each other. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. But more importantly, it'll be a time for them to have some fellowship and to be challenged around God's Word. And so that'll be this Saturday evening. It was wonderful to see... Two, just two years ago, I think the total group of kids, there was about 12 kids, and now there's about 30 that go out the door to junior church, and, and I think last Sunday with the workers, there were 20 in the nursery as well, and just thankful for God's growth all over the place. I was even encouraged this morning to hear of a couple different people that had the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ this week. It's a blessing to see God's mission work going on in Nigeria, and going on right here in Houston. I hope that you'll be faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ. God is at work, and the power, as we heard this past week in the missions conference, the power of God unto salvation, it's in the gospel. It's not just a great message. It is the power of God. And may we be faithful to share it wherever we go. This year, we've taken the theme of walk worthy from Colossians chapter 1. And if you look at verse 10 and 11 in there, and 12, you'll see four different areas that He challenges us to walk worthy in. Helps us to understand what it means to even walk worthy. That we would bear fruit. In other words, there would be physical evidence of God at work in our lives. It's one thing to say that God is real, and that I believe God, and that I follow God. But it's another thing for our actions, for our life to show it. The Bible says, by their fruits, ye shall know them. And I would challenge us as we go through this year that we would do some fruit inspecting of ourselves and ask ourselves, if somebody couldn't hear a word that I said, they only saw how I lived my life, would my fruit demonstrate to them that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? And so what we say, what we do, those fruits, and then it challenges us to grow in the knowledge of, of God. This is not just knowing more about God, even though that's important. We should always be studying to know more about God in our minds, but it's getting to know God personally, having a personal relationship with Him and growing in what it means to walk with God and to talk with God and to spend time with God. That's a relationship. Relationships take time and relationships take effort, don't they? And relationships take consistency. All those things are important. And then it challenges us there in that passage that we are to be strengthened with all might. Now, this is not a challenge for you to go to the gym and work out, even though that might be good for some of us to do. Rather, this is being strengthened with the strength that is not our own. It is the strength of God. It is His might. Every time in the Bible when that Greek word translated in our English Bible, 
as his might. That's referring to God's overcoming power that nothing can stand in its way. And that is power, that is strength that only comes from God. And then one of the final things he speaks of is when he's talking about walking worthy is that idea of giving thanks. Giving thanks. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I was reading this morning in the book of Exodus. Maybe some of you are reading through the Bible with me this year. I hope that you are. And if you've gotten behind, don't worry. Get caught up. It's a good time to stay faithful in your Bible reading. I've gotten behind before. And I know what it's like when you're following a schedule and you get three days behind, four days. But each day you get behind, it seems more impossible to catch up. Start Get back, get faithful. We're already a twelfth of the way through the year. And be faithful to your walk with God. But I was reading this morning in the book of Exodus. And I read the story of the children of Israel as they crossed the Red Sea. And God did an amazing miracle that He parted the waters and they walked through on dry ground. And then you get to chapter 15 of Exodus and you read this whole chapter of Moses giving praise to God for God performing this incredible miracle and all the people rejoicing. It was so exciting. But you know what happens in Exodus chapter 16? They're out in the wilderness again. They don't have water to drink. The water they have is bitter. And they're complaining. Then they don't have food. And they're upset. I mean, you want to read those passages and you think, what's wrong with you people? Don't you see that God has provided? You walked through on dry ground. God took you out of Egypt. He protected you from Pharaoh and all his armies. And now you're worried about food and water. If God could do something so big, can't he do something so little? And then I start to think, I don't need to preach to the Israelites this morning. I need to preach to me. Because it's so easy to come off of exciting things that we see God do and great miracles that He performs and then go back to day-to-day -day life and go, boy, my life's a mess. What am I going to do? I don't know how to get through this. How's God going to fix this? If God could save you from your sins, He can do anything. If Jesus could rise again from the dead, He can do anything. You don't have to be worried. But that's our natural tendency, just like the children of Israel. I was challenged this morning in my Bible reading, and I hope that you're being challenged as you read from God's Word. I know sometimes as you read, you kind of get in, you think, oh, there's a lot of reading. I'm not sure, you know, I, I understand everything. God has so much for us in His Word. And if you'll be faithful to read and ask Him to give you understanding and learn to study His Word, God will teach you, and you'll learn wonderful things. A couple of weeks ago, I, I started a kind of two-part message on why He is worthy. Because He's told us to walk worthy, but I think that begs the question, why should I do that? Why is He worthy of our walk? And we looked at several things a couple of weeks ago, and you had some notes, so I gave you some notes again today that you could fill in the blanks if you like, so you can stay up with that. He's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our service, our, our dedication, and our lives. But that's a really big proposition, isn't it? That God would be worthy of all those things. I would tell you that as, as we go around in our community around here, 
There are many people that want God, but they want God in the place where they want to have Him. Say, yeah, I want God, but as long as I have Him on my terms. As long as I get to determine who He is and what He does. And when He doesn't behave like I want Him to behave, I'm going to do my own thing. Folks, I would challenge your thinking this morning. If that's your view of God, then you don't know my God. We're not serving the same God this morning. Because a God where you can take Him and put Him in your place, where you can relegate Him to a lesser position in your heart and life, you're not truly allowing Him to be God in your life. Because God, by definition, is over everything. And as we look at these verses together this morning in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, I want you to jump down to verse 18 though, because I want to read one phrase, and then we'll go back and read verse 18. Look at the last phrase of verse 18. It says this, that in all things He might have the preeminence. First place. First place. That in all things He might have the preeminence. Let's back up to verse 15 now and we'll read these verses together. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Would you say that last phrase with me? That in all things He might have the preeminence. Over these few verses this morning, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote this to the church at Colossae, and therefore under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as God would have us to hear these verses this morning, Paul is going to lay out for us so much evidence, so many reasons why he should have the evidence, or that he should have the preeminence, that it truly is overwhelming to think about. Paul's going to make a case for this. He's going to lay out his argument. He's going to give us reason upon reason. I, I put it in your notes as eight different reasons that he gives us of why Jesus should have the preeminence. As we go through these this morning, notice he begins very broadly. But as he gets down to those last few points, he gets so focused, so pointed at you and me. He's making a case, almost as if he were in a court of law. And he's called to testify and, and make his case of why Jesus truly is God and why He deserves the preeminence. And I hope that you'll listen this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not, not sure where God should be in your life. This message is for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you know God, but you've had some doubts about things. You're not sure. We each need to be reminded and challenged about the person and work of Jesus Christ. One preacher, A.W. Tozier, said it this way, 
The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. They're still trying to give orders and interfere with God's work within them. We don't get to give God orders. He gets to tell us what to do because He's God and we are not. Now you may feel a little skeptical about that this morning. Stay with me and follow through these points because when it comes to the end, I believe it, this passage of Scripture leaves us in a position where we either have to accept or reject. He doesn't leave any room. There's no middle ground here. You're either for him or against him. He's either preeminent or he's not. And he begins with that first phrase in verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? Number one, Jesus is God. You see, there was a heresy being taught in the church at Colossae back a couple thousand years ago when Paul wrote this book that God was spiritual and that anything material couldn't be God. And so they were questioning whether or not Jesus truly was God. And you know, that question has been asked for centuries now. There was another man by the name of Arius who taught that Jesus was not truly God. And that same false teaching has come down to this day. In fact, there are people that spend lots of time going around. Maybe some of them have even knocked on your door. They're known by the name Jehovah's Witness. They may come across as very nice people, but they have a major problem. Because if Jesus is not Lord, if Jesus is not God, then our salvation is nothing. Jesus, God in human flesh, came and died on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life. This was a very wicked heresy that was being taught. And Paul lays out for us, beginning by saying, He is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. We can't see Him. Jesus was visible. They could see Him. The Bible does say in a couple of different passages of Scripture, one clear back in the book of Genesis, that it says that even you and I were made in the image of God. The difference is, Jesus was not made in the image of God. This says it very plainly. He is the image of God. You and I were made in the image of God. In other words, we have things and characteristics that are like God. We live forever somewhere, either heaven or hell. We have a will. We have emotions. We have the ability to make decisions. We are made in the image of God in that way. But Jesus Christ wasn't made in the image of God. Jesus Christ truly is the image of God. He is God. John 1 verse 18 says this, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Or how about John 14 in verse 9, which says, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been, uh, with thee, uh, been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. 
And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus was declaring himself to be God. You know, this is one of the reasons they crucified him. They called Jesus a blasphemer. Because he claimed to be God. Now, it would be blasphemous if I claimed to be God. Or if you claimed to be God. Because we're not God. But it wasn't blasphemy for Jesus to claim to be God if he truly was God. In fact, for him not to declare himself to be God would rather be to hide or to obscure a portion of who he was. And Jesus came to this earth by his own admission to declare God to us, to make God visible to us. He was the visible of the invisible God. Jesus is God. And, and truly, this ought to be reason enough for us. We could just stop here and say, yes, he is, and pray and go home. And somebody say, good, that would be the shortest message ever. But you know, Paul's not done laying out his evidence yet. That's a fantastic reason. That's enough. We don't need any more than for the Bible to say that Jesus is God for us to say, okay, I believe it. But you, like me, often are, are not always convinced at the first piece of evidence. And Paul doesn't stop here. He continues laying out for us how we know that Jesus is God and why he should have the preeminence. Does Jesus have first place in your life? He should. He should because he's God. And he should also, verse 15 says, because he is the firstborn... Of every creature. Number two, Jesus is Lord over all creation. Now, there have been some people that have struggled with these words as well. He's firstborn. I didn't think Jesus had a birth. Well, okay, I know he was born of Mary. Is that what this is talking about? No, it's very, some very important things here. And some of you say, wow, this is interesting Bible study. But words have meaning. And God's words are exactly the words that he wanted them to be when he put, wrote them down for us. So we want to look carefully at the meaning of those words. And when you do that, you can very easily, I think, see what this is talking about and clearly. First of all, he says he is the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn. First means first. He, he was in the beginning. First can mean the, in a sense of time. Or it could also mean in a hierarchical sense, right? The first in order. Someone who is over everything else. And as you continue on in the context here, reading the next verses, we'll see that Jesus created all things. And so, therefore, He was first in a sense of time, but He's also first in the sense of order. He's in charge over everything. Now, where it can be easy to get hung up is where He says He's the firstborn of all creation. So was Jesus created? I thought he had no beginning. He's God. Well, this next part of the word first, it says firstborn. This is not just speaking about birth. Again, it's very simple when you go look back. The original language here is very clear. The firstborn means he was the first in existence, and it means he came from God, Jesus and God. They're one and together, you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, the Trinity. 
Jesus wasn't born in the sense of with God that God somehow gave birth and Jesus came out. Rather, this is speaking of that He is one with God. He's the firstborn. He's first. He's born of God and He's of all creation. So He wasn't created. He was ahead of all the creation. Jesus is Lord over all the creation. John 1 verse 3 says it this way, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John 1 verse 2 says this, The same was in the beginning with God. If you go back to the beginning of it all, Jesus was there. He was first. If you go back before time began, Jesus was there. He always has been. So we know that He's Lord because He is made in the image of God. Not made in the image of God. He is the image of God. We know that He is Lord because He is the firstborn of every creature. Number three, He continues to lay out His evidence. Verse 16, Jesus made everything for His purpose. Look at verse 16 in your Bible. For by Him, by who? By Jesus. By Him were all things created. All means all, by the way. Just to make sure, he, he clarifies for us uh, what all means here. All things created, what things? Things in heaven. Okay, so everything that's in heaven, everything that's in the sky above, all of the stars and the moon, all the galaxies, he created it all. Things in heaven, things in earth. Now, sometimes we think of creating as making inanimate objects, things we can feel and touch. But all means all. He says, visible and invisible. You mean he made things that we can't even see? Yeah, he did. We, we can't see all of God's angels all the time. We can't see all of the things going on around us. You say, there's, there's things going on around us that we can't see? Absolutely. God is a spirit. Does not have a body like man. God created all kinds of things at work, whether they be visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. In other words, He created the most powerful things in the world that we know of, that we can see, or that we cannot see. Did you know God created the devil? He created Lucifer, this angel that served alongside of him there in heaven. But one day, Lucifer decided that he wanted to be like God. He tried to rise up to be equal with God. Jesus is equal with God because Jesus is God. The devil tried to take his place. And God cast him out of heaven. And the Bible tells us that a third of the angels followed him. We know them now as demons. So those things are real. Yeah, this isn't just storybook. This is what's in the Bible. This is real. So why did he create these things? I don't know all the whys. But I know that he loves you and that he loves me. And He loves us enough that He's given us a choice whether we're going to follow Him or not. 
All of his creation didn't all follow his will, didn't all follow his plan. But God's plans were not messed up. Because God always accomplishes his plans. He always wins. He's Lord over all creation and he created it all. He made everything for his purpose. Notice the end of verse 16. He says, all things were created by him and for him. That's pretty amazing when you start to think about that. that Everything he made was for his purpose. Kind of reminds me of that verse over in Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now it's interesting because all things work together because God is in charge, because He's Lord over all creation. But if we want it to work together for good in our lives, then we need to be faithful to his purpose. He's still going to work it together whether you live out his purpose or not. It just won't be good in your life if you're not living according to his purpose. As you read these verses, it, it really challenges your thinking, at least it did mine, of how worthy he is of our faithful service. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says it this way, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. They were created for His purpose. They were created for His pleasure. To create means to take nothing and turn it into something. Creation is something that only God can do. Throughout Scripture and throughout history, there was only one who ever created, and that one was God. Everything was made by Him and for Him, for His purpose. So that means Jesus created you. And that means He created you for Himself. That's pretty special, isn't it? He made you for himself. That means Jesus created this world. And he created this world for himself. Jesus created all things. And he created them for himself. So to live life for anything other than to bring glory to God is to live contrary to your purpose. You will never be fulfilled or find true contentment when you're living life apart from your purpose. Just can't. If I had brought up a puzzle here this morning, 500-piece puzzle. Each piece has a specific place. And you've tried to make puzzles before, put them together, and you've had this piece, and you thought, surely it fit in this place. And you forced it and pushed it, but it just wouldn't fit. Why? Because it was never intended to go there. That piece only works when it's in its place, when it's fulfilling its purpose. 
The picture's messed up if the piece isn't in the right place. It doesn't fit together and lay smoothly if it's not in its right place. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He created you with that purpose. Isn't that special? God didn't just throw some things out there and hope that it worked. No, He had a specific plan and a specific purpose for every single person in this room, every single person who's ever lived, every single person who ever will live. Say, that's a pretty big God. That's my God. And He can be yours as well. He created you and He made everything for His purpose. I would tell you a lot of people in this world that are miserable, that are frustrated, that are depressed, that are discouraged, that are upset, because they're not fulfilling God's purpose for their life. They're like a frustrated puzzle piece trying to slam themselves into a place where they don't belong. And they wonder why it just doesn't seem to fit. It's because you weren't created for your purpose, you were created for His purpose. You weren't created to just go out and do whatever you wanted with your life, even though God gives you the freedom to do that. You were created for His purpose. Now, see, where God would not be loving is if He created you like a robot. And He said, all right, this is your purpose, and so I'm just going to put you in there, and you have no say in the matter. That's the amazingness of our God and His love, is that He lets you choose whether you're going to get in the right place or not. But Jesus created all things, and He made them for Himself. Are you living according to your purpose? Or are you living according to God's purpose this morning? Studying, I just thought, well, we could just stop here. But he still hasn't stopped laying out the evidence for why Christ should be preeminent. Why he should have first place in everything that we do. This would be enough to stop right here to know that he's God to know that He is Lord over all His creation and to know that He created everything for His purpose, but He doesn't stop here as if there could be any question, as if there could be any more room for argument. But He continues on. He gives us the next one here. Verse 17. And He is before all things. Jesus existed before all things. Before everything was, He was there. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there. He existed before all things. His existence before all things points to His deity. He couldn't create all things unless He existed before all things. The existence of God his eternality. This is so important. Isn't it amazing? I tell you, the longer I study Scripture, the more I read God's Word, the more I study it and prepare messages, the more I meditate on it and allow God to work in my own heart. Isn't it incredible how it all works together? There was no leftover bits. There were no parts that weren't important. Every single part of it had a purpose. It's important that He existed 
forever. Because if he didn't, he couldn't create everything. It's important that he created everything because if he didn't create everything, he wouldn't have the right to say what his creation did. It's important that he gave us a choice because if he didn't give us a choice, then we would just be robots and he didn't love us. We can go on and on and on through the scripture and you see how it all fits together. Why? Because we serve a God who has a great purpose and plan and he puts it all together. There's one big problem, though, and it's our sin. Sin is when I do something God tells me not to do or I don't do something God tells me I should do. Sometimes we think of sin as just stuff we do. Sometimes sin is what we don't do. Sin is when I don't do what God wants me to do or I do what God tells me not to do. And yet, in spite of our sin, he still works. Because think about this. I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants, right? So if he's, again, we talked about that puzzle, putting all those pieces in the right place. Here's the wonderful thing about God. He doesn't just come down and say, well, I don't like that piece anymore and just throw it away. In spite of our sin, he still loves us and he still forgives us and he still offers salvation to all who will call upon him. Amen. I might look around this room today and even think of myself and think, you know, there are some times where God probably should have just taken me and said, you know what, done with that piece. But if you're still here this morning, it means he still has a plan for your life. He's not done with you. He's still shaping you. He's still molding you. You say, well, I messed up. I'm not even sure my pieces fit right anymore. God is so big and so powerful that he can take your broken mess and your pieces that are scattered all over the place and he can put them back together and he can use them for his purpose and still make a beautiful thing out of something that's broken. How can he do that? Because he's God. He's God. He's Lord over all creation. He existed before all things. Oh, Look at the next one in verse 17. It says, for by him, I'm sorry, he is before all things and by him all things consist. Oh, we could spend forever. Literally every single one of these phrases is a message or a whole series in and of itself. But just think of this as he's laying out this great case that Paul is making to the church at Colossae and the Holy Spirit is making in our hearts today for the deity of Jesus Christ, for the supremacy of Christ, for the preeminence of our Lord and Savior. He says, by Him all things consist. They all hold together. He is that person. He is that peace that without Him, everything else would fly apart. He holds it all together. He's the one that gives perfect peace. He's the one that gives hope when there's sorrow. He's the one that gives joy when instead we would tend to mourn. He's the one that gives us purpose. He's the one that gives us a reason to live. By Him, all things consist. He gives unity. He gives purpose to everything. I read this in one commentary. I thought it was really good. Everything is in harmony when it is in its proper place before Jesus. Everything is in harmony. It consists, it works together when it's in its proper place before Jesus. If you've ever worked with chemicals, you know different mixtures of things make different things happen. Sometimes you mix it wrong and it goes boom. 
right? <laughs> Sometimes you mix it a different way and nothing seems to happen. For those things to work properly, whether you're working with an adhesive or whether you're working with a certain type of paint or whether you're working with some other chemical, you have to be very precise in how you mix everything together. But when you do it properly, it's amazing how those chemical properties combine and work together and, and, and some great thing takes place. They mix a certain chemicals together. It's amazing that, it, that the adhesives that they make, or you put a little of this on one side, a little of that on the other, and you stick it together, and it won't come apart. Why? Because something's causing it to consist. There's a, a binding agent. There's something that's pulling it all together that causes all those molecules to lock together, and nothing will let it apart. Jesus makes all things consist. Without him, everything flies apart. Nothing makes sense. Nothing holds together. Nothing is what it should be. There's no harmony. There's no peace. There's no unity. There may be semblances of it for a while. The Bible even says sin is pleasant for a season. There is a time where it seems like, well, maybe things are better. Maybe things are not. And sometimes we dip our toe in and take it out and put it in and take it out and think, well, maybe it'll work now. Maybe it won't. I'll try this for a while. And we go back and forth. Folks, get in with the Lord because by him all things consist and we wonder why it's not working well it's just because you're kind of dabbing at it glue works a whole lot better I've done a little bit of woodworking when you put some between the wood and you clamp it together and you hold it in place but if you put that glue on and you just constantly keep pulling the boards apart you won't have a good tight bond will you that joint will fail but when we get in with Jesus and allow him to lock us in tight and walk with him and stay obedient, allow him to be the, the glue that holds us all together, oh, that bond can't be broken. By him all things consist. Notice how he's getting more and more specific. He started out very general. Jesus is Lord. He's God. He, he's Lord over all creation. Narrow down a bit. He made everything for His purpose, starting to get more focused on us. By Him all things consist. He existed before everything. Now He gets even more specific. He starts to narrow it down and focus on the church. Before now, it's been very broad, speaking about all of creation or all of the world. Now He's going to speak about the church. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Number six, if you're taking notes, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. This refers to his power, his rule, his authority, the supremacy of Christ as the head of the church. But also it speaks about, and he is the head of the body, the church speaks to the unity of the body when the head is Jesus Christ. See, the body works best when it's communicating well with the head, right? When it's communicating well with what's in charge. If, if your head is not attached firmly to your body, your body tries to do something other than what the head tells it to do, you can get in trouble, can't you? Some of you have had things like that. Maybe you've thrown your back out. Maybe you've hurt your leg. Maybe you've hurt an arm or something else, and, and your body's not doing what you want it to do. Brother Garlic, who's 
suffering from cancer. He was telling me about the neuropathy in his fingers. He said, I'm telling my fingers to play this on the guitar and they just don't do it. It's like they're, they're numb. They're just not even there. Why? Because his head is not able to do everything that he wants it to do. Now, I'm thankful with the head is Jesus Christ. Nothing will ever stop him. There's no cancer that can slow him down. There's no sickness or struggle, humanly speaking, that can stop our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the head of the body, the church. But isn't that a challenge to us as a church to say, we need to make Jesus Christ the head of everything we do. There's a lot of things in the world that people do and call it church. But a true church has Jesus Christ as its head and nothing else. It says, I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. We're going to be unified around what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus has laid out in his word very clearly what he wants us to do. We are to go and fulfill the Great Commission, which means going, yes. Means evangelizing, yes. And it means discipling as well. So then they in turn can go evangelize. Garen gave a great testimony in his video about a desire to see 100 churches started in Nigeria. We have the same desire here in Houston. But you know, that's not going to happen if, if all you do is evangelize, right? Because you could reach thousands to Christ on your own potentially, but if you don't train them to go out and do the same, those other churches will never get started. It's a process of fulfilling the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. But he gives us that great promise. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He's with us. Jesus is the head of the church. Then it says also in verse 18, He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. You see, that's how we already talked about His, his beginningness. It refers to this again because Jesus is not just the head of the church. He is the founder of the church. He's the rock on which we stand. He's the cornerstone that everything is built on that is the church. Jesus said back in the book of Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So many times we struggle in church because we're trying to build the church. This is going to be my church. No, this isn't my church. This is his church. I don't get to build this. He builds it. And he'll build it through me and he built it through you and he'll build it through all of us together serving him and being faithful to him. That's why you heard this week and from David and Adriana and pray for them. They're on the road again. Raise a little more support before they come back to start the church. We took a group of men and ladies down there and prayed together on Wednesday at the new building and praying for God to bless and God to work. That church is nothing if it doesn't have Jesus because he's everything. I'm praying that's only the first of many and the next and the next and the next. Jesus is the founder of the church. We run around, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Only as Jesus allows us to and only as he fills us with his power that the Holy Spirit gives us. Jesus is the founder of the church. He who is from the beginning. Who is the beginning. And then the next phrase says, the firstborn from the dead. Oh, we're getting really specific now. 
This is where it gets so personal. Because maybe you say, well, that's just what he did with the world. Okay. Maybe you're here this morning, well, I hear he's the head of the church. I'm not even really a member of this church. Okay. Look at that last phrase. He's the firstborn from the dead. You say, well, how does this relate to me? This speaks of Jesus' saving work in the gospel. Because Paul said it this way, if Christ be not risen, then we are of all men most miserable. Let me read those verses to you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19 and 20. If this life, we only, have, only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. There's a lot of religions in this world. And I talk to people all the time and say, well, I'm still kind of trying out, figuring out which religion I should follow. I mean, there's a lot of teachings out there. You can read a lot of things. A lot of books have been written about the religions of the world. So why have we picked this one? Well, because this is so much more than a religion. Because a religion is just following the teachings of a person. This is a relationship with a living God. So well, how do he know he's alive? Because he rose again. Every other leader of every other religion has lived and died or will die someday because they're human. But Jesus is God in human flesh. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the Savior of all who believe in him. Jesus Christ not only claimed to be God, but after he was killed, he rose from the dead. There's nobody like my Jesus. Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? There's no greater thing than to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn from the dead. Now, there's, there, I, I think this is borne out in the rest of context of Scripture. He's the firstborn of, from the dead. He's not the only one that's going to rise from the dead. He was just the first to do it under His own power because we too will rise from the dead someday, not in our own strength, not by any means. But when Jesus comes again, the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Oh, my friend, today I can't think of any greater list of reasons in all of Scripture of why Jesus should have the preeminence. Why he's first place. See, the resurrection makes all the difference. Jesus went to the cross and he died. Well, a lot of people went to the cross and died. The thieves on either side of him died. Well, they were sinners and he wasn't. Well, that was proved when he rose again from the dead. Folks, 
this idea of giving Christ first place, giving Him preeminence, is not something foolish or something to be entered into lightly. It's not like, well, I hope this works. Let me try this for a while. No, there are good, incredible, solid reasons that he should be first place. Paul lays out this whole list of things. And then he says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Why? Because he saved you from your sin. He's the firstborn from the dead. Why? Because he's the founder of the church. Why? Because he's the head of the church. Why should he have the preeminence? Well, by him all things consist. He, he was before all things. He's always existed. Why? Because he is God. He lists out all these things and he finishes with that great statement that in all things he might have the preeminence. And if you come back next week, you'll, you'll see as he keeps going on, he just goes through this wonderful explanation of the gospel in detail of how we come to Christ and trust him as our savior. It, that's just the next logical step, right? He goes through all these things of why he's first place. And then he says, you need to be saved. And that may be the next step that some of you need to take this morning. You need to say, I'm going to give Him first place. I'm going to give my life to Him because He's done it all for me as a purpose for my life. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, be saved today. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. The preeminence. But I know this because I haven't lived a long time, but my 36 and a half years... There are a lot of Christians, people who have trust in Christ their Savior, but they're not really living like He's first place. And you may be there this morning. Say, well, I, I, I've done this. I've trusted in Him to save me and give me eternal life. Why don't you trust Him with the life that you have right now? Well, I'll trust Him someday when I die that He'll take me to heaven because I know He can do that. If He can do that... Why not give them the life you have right now? Well, this will my I'll, hold, I'll do what I want to do, and then, then I'll live for Jesus. That's so silly. It's so backwards. And we wonder why we're miserable. We heard it Tuesday night from a man who, unless God performs a miracle on his body, he will be with the Lord, the doctors have told him, by this summer. I didn't see him frown one time. I didn't see him upset. I didn't see him discouraged. I say, well, he's just a strange person. Well, the Bible does talk about Christians ought to be peculiar people. But what's different is he has Jesus. Do you know him? What would your life be like if you were faced with some of the problems that Brother Garlic had or even some of the problems of people in this room this morning? There's problems. Some of you came in this morning, you were hurting. Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. He wants first place. Not because he's selfish, but because he deserves it. He only wants what he deserves. 
He only wants what He's already given to you. Would you give Him your all? I, I don't know what it is. See, this is the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. I know, and I was thinking about this as I can study and preach a message like this. It's very specific, very focused on God and who He is and who we are to be before Him. But I don't know exactly how He's working in your heart right now this morning. But I know if you'll allow Him to, He will. And God will show you things in your heart and your life that I wouldn't even know to say. I've had people come up to me after services sometimes and say, Well, Pastor Boy, you were really picking on me. You were preaching on me today. No, that was the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know what's in your heart. I might think I know, but I don't know. But the Holy Spirit knows. And if He's working on your heart this morning, don't reject that. Don't push that away. Be thankful for that. That means God cares enough about you that He's talking to you about something in your life that He wants you to change. That He wants to say, give this to me. That's not, you're not weird because of that. It, it, you're not strange. There's nothing wrong with you if you're feeling that this morning. That's the Holy Spirit of God putting conviction on your heart to encourage you, to challenge you, to push you towards what you know you ought to do. You've heard God's word this morning. I've done the best I can with it. Others might be able to do better. That doesn't matter. What matters is that we have the Holy Spirit who can then take his word and work in our hearts. Would you respond in obedience to him today? If you need to come and trust Christ as your Savior, do it this morning. Don't wait anymore. We don't know when it's going to be too late. Do it today. Do it right now. You can trust him right there in your heart, in your seat. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. and He'll save you. Trust in him. Put him first. If you're a Christian here this morning and you've got something in your life, say, well, I don't know how this works. I don't know what to do. Give it all to him. He wants to have the preeminence. Let him be first place and let him take care of those things. You be faithful and walk step by step in obedience to God's word. That's why he's given us the Bible. That's why he's given us a church to help teach and instruct and edify one another. That's why he's given us friends and people to serve God together. Let's follow him. Let's be obedient to him this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? And the piano player, my mom's going to come play the piano. If God's worked in your heart this morning, let's take a minute and give it to him. Take as much time as you need. There's some who can stand. If you're able, I'd encourage you to stand with me. If you're unable, stay in your seat. That's fine. Let's pray, though, and ask God to work in our hearts. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our church. We thank you for the great blessing that it is to serve you. Lord, I pray whether somebody's standing or sitting, whether their eyes are opened or closed, that you'd be working in their hearts this morning. If there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they'd be saved today. And those who know you, I pray that they'd put you in first place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The piano player is going to play. Let's keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. Some have already come. You come if God's speaking to your heart this morning. Don't push it away. Don't wait. Don't say, well, I'll do it later. Follow him. Be obedient to him now.